morning. Well, that was stressful, wasn't it? I hope it's never like that for you on the way to church or anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We've been in this series, When Life Hits, based on a survey where we asked you, what are some topics you want to hear some teaching on? And last week we talked about uh, the topic, when you're stressed out. And um, stress really transfers into this week's topic, when your marriage is a mess. Because there are a lot of different reasons why your marriage can be having difficulties, but one of them is often stress, right? So stress, financial stress, kids' stress, job stress, stress of a crazy schedule, all kinds of stress in our lives. Paul and I wanted to share with you about a very stressful time in our life and how it affected our marriage. We thought we would tag team today because uh, we thought we're probably equally responsible for all the messes we've created in our marriage, so it's only fair that we share together. And um, this way you get to hear from a woman's point of view a little bit on marriage, not just a man's point of view. So um, one of the most stressful times in our life was when we lived in Africa for two years. We went to the uh, Republic of Côte d'Ivoire, also known as the Ivory Coast, as missionaries for two years. And um, oh my. (laughs) And I cope with stress by eating a lot and him by exercising a lot, you might notice. So... um, It was a very stressful time. First of all, there was a lot of cultural stress. Although the people there were very warm and friendly, they would give you the shirt off their their back. The Christians there would walk for miles, for hours to get to a worship service and sometimes worship all night long. Um, They were quite amazing, but there was a lot of cultural stress. I felt like there were people coming at me all the time, asking for help, asking for money, knocking on the door. It was exhausting. Even going to buy to the market to buy vegetables every day was a series of arguments. You know, would you just give me a banana? Here's $10, right? It was just a difficult thing to do. And maybe the most difficult thing for me was every day after a long day at work, I knew that on my way home, on the drive home, I was probably going to get pulled over by yet another corrupt police officer who was going to demand a bribe and threaten to take my car away. And not only did we have cultural stress, but we also had the stress of trying to function in a foreign language. Uh, The Ivory Coast is a French-speaking country, so that was challenging. And then to top that off, we had climate stress. Like the Ivory Coast is right on the equator, so man, it's tropical. It's like always at least 90 degrees, 100% humidity all the time. Talk about stressing a marriage when you just look at your wife and she says, don't touch me, it's too hot. It's not good for a marriage relationship. In fact, if I can give you a picture of what it was like uh, for us while we were there, is the Shell Oil Company, they own the tallest skyscraper in the capital city of Abidjan. And on top of the skyscraper, they had the word Shell in big red neon letters. But the only problem is the S had burnt out. So every time when we drive in the capital city in big red letters, H-E-L-L, and we felt like we're there. We're right there, especially in our marriage relationship. Not to mention that there were mosquitoes with their malaria, bed bugs, flying bugs. I used to count the bug bites all over me every morning. Oh, about 30 today. Um, Combined with the mold in our tiny apartment with no air circulation, combined with the heat, created severe insomnia in both of us. So it just felt like everything was incredibly stressful, um, from getting our basic needs met to relating to other people to just feeling awful all of the time. It took all that we had to function each day, and there was nothing left over for each other, 
or for keeping our marriage healthy. Our marriage began to really be in trouble, and we knew it. We wanted to make it better, we just didn't know how. It was a dark and lonely time, and I know that some of you are struggling in your marriage, and some of you know that sometimes you can be laying down in, laying in a bed right next to somebody and feeling more lonely than if you were alone. Because their physical presence is a constant reminder that the partner that you should be sharing in life's ups and downs with is really not that. Our marriage was a mess. We were just surviving. And we made a crucial mistake. We didn't ask for help. Now, it's not that we didn't have the opportunity to ask for help. In fact, we had a great couple right in front of us, Gene and Janice Smith. They had been married for like 30, 40 years. They had been through it all. And they loved God. They loved us. And one time we got to travel on a road trip with them to Ghana, 11 hours in a car with this great couple. And just to give you a picture of how immature we were, we sat in the back seat and we would whisper to one another, I I think because we were maybe ashamed or embarrassed, like we're missionaries, we're supposed to have it all together and have all the answers. And yet our marriage is a mess. This is how immature we are. In the back seat, Karen would poke me like, you ask them for help. No, you ask them. No, you ask them. 11 hours with a couple that we knew loved us and would love to help us. But because of our pride and our immaturity, we never asked. Now, you may wonder why we're sharing all this with you is because from the very beginning of this message, we want you to know that we know what it feels like when your marriage is a mess. In fact, if you're sitting here today and your marriage is a mess, I want you to know you're in a safe place. No one's here to judge you. No one's here to kick you when you're down. Man, if we could somehow be a source of hope and encouragement to you, that would be like one of, a, a, one of the biggest blessings. And so we want to talk to you today about when your marriage is a mess. In fact, we have an outline for our message today. It's a light blue sheet found in your program. Let me encourage you to take this out and use it to follow along. All the verses from the Bible that we're talking about today are printed there for you. And there's a place to take some notes if that's helpful. And I want you to see right off the top what the Bible says that every married couple will face. So would you look at me at first, look, look with me at first uh, Corinthians seven twenty eight that says these words. But those who marry will face what? Many troubles. many troubles in this life. Would you underline face many troubles? Like, can I get an amen from a married person? Amen. I mean, you know, it's true. In fact, marriage experts tell us that all marriages will fall into one of three categories, and I hope you write these down. The first category is a category of thriving, like having a happy, connected, loving marriage, but that's only 5 to 15% of married couples have a thriving marriage. The second category is surviving, and that's about 35% of marriages, like Karen and I in Africa, we were were just trying to get through the day. We're just barely hanging on. And then there's dying marriages. And statistics tell us that 50 to 60% of marriages are dying, which matches the divorce rate today. And I, I want you to look at that, and I want to ask you, does anybody ever get married to have a dying relationship? No. Nobody gets married to be miserable. 
See, all marriages start out thriving. I mean, you wouldn't get married if you didn't have a thriving relationship. But along the way, something happens. Now, I want you to ask, like, what causes marriages to stagnate or die? What turns our marriages into messes? Well, can I tell you, with over 30 years in the ministry and 25 years of living out my own marriage, I've seen four key marriage killers. Like, there's, there's a whole lot more than these, but these top four, they seem to hit every single marriage. Now, let me ask you, how, how many of you here today are single and hope to be married one day? So we have quite a few singles here. How many of you, like, are seriously dating or engaged, thinking of getting married soon? You have some of those. Well, for our singles and our, and our engaged, can, can I tell you, I am so sorry. <laughs> I, I am so sorry because... Uh, I'm about to burst your little impenetrable love bubble right now. Because I need to tell you, you have to get ready. You have to be aware because these four things that we're going to share, they hit every single marriage. And so I'm going to ask Karen to come and share the first one, but I hope you'll write these down on your outline. The first one is unexpected differences. Unexpected differences. For those of you who are married, did you notice when you got married how surprised you were? You thought you had all these things in common, but you discovered, wow, we're really different in a lot of ways, right? And it's not surprising in a sense because opposites attract, right? But very often opposites attract turns into opposites attack. And you find that you have those differences and you have to know how to, you have to learn how to cope with those. Um, so we've counseled some couples, you know, sometimes a couple will come and say, we want to get a divorce. Why do you want to get a divorce? Because we're so different, we're just not compatible. But is anybody really compatible? Is anybody totally compatible? Really, we all have differences. And there are differences just between men and women anyway, right? Now, before I got married, I knew that I wanted to marry a male version of myself. I would even say that, (laughs) as bad as that sounds. But um, I had seen my parents have so many difficulties largely because they came from different backgrounds, they had different values, different daily habits and food schedules, and I just thought if I could find somebody who was a lot like me that we could avoid a lot of that conflict. So I was very happy when I found Paul and discovered that we had the same faith, the same values, we had the same major at the same university, we uh, drove the same kind of car, Hondas, we even had the same favorite color, not cute, but um, <laughs> yeah... And I thought that the, oh, and we have the same birthday. That was really frosting, right? That was extra. And I really thought that having all of those things in common would prevent us from having a lot of conflict. But it wasn't far into our marriage before we discovered that there were a lot of differences. And to this day, I like to have a plan in place. And I like to be spontaneous. (laughs) I like new exotic foods. And I like steak and potatoes. (laughs) I like watching cooking shows. And I like watching sports shows. (laughs) I like doing Zumba. And I like doing pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) And to relax, I like to engage in conversation. And to relax, I like to disengage in conversation. (laughs) So, and, and I drink coffee. I drink tea. And I'm a visionary. I'm a realist. Which means I have a lot of new ideas. And I have a lot of reasons why those ideas won't work. And, and, you know, I, I juggle a job. I juggle kids. 
and three jobs and everything else. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, our list goes on and on and on, and so does yours. See, the person you married with, you, you look at the world differently, you think differently, you, you have different ideas about how to spend money and how to raise kids and how to spend free time. Now, here's what we're getting at here. Unexpected differences. Do you understand that to have a thriving marriage, you have to learn to accept these differences and truly accept your partner for who they are without expecting them to be just like you. It's the first marriage killer, unexpected differences. The second one is also key. Would you write this one down? Unresolved issues. Unresolved issues. And this is so important because many times it's not that your, that your marriage just creates new problems. Many times your marriage, it just brings out problems that were already there. Can I give you a picture of the emotional reality of marriage? It kind of looks like this. You know, you don't see this very often, but, but I want you from now on, anytime you go to, the, to a wedding and you see the bride and the groom walking down the aisle in their tux, in their wedding dress, you don't see it, but every single one of them is carrying, they're carrying an invisible carry-on into that marriage. And can I tell you what the carry-on looks like? It looks just like this. They're bringing in their habits, their hurts, and their hang-ups into the real... Now, you don't see it on the wedding day, but friends, I promise you, it is there. You walked into your marriage with these. So did your spouse. Now, the problem is, these things, they could have lied dormant for years. And it's your marriage that's just resurfaced them. Let me say it this way. The marriage didn't necessarily cause them. It's just that the hot water of wedlock brings them to the surface. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when you're, all, when you're together all the time, living together and, and sharing space together and in each other's face all the time, this stuff is just going to rise to the surface. Now, nobody likes looking at these things in and of themselves. But I think God wants to use our marriages to bring this stuff to the surface. And here's why. He wants to do it so that you can deal and heal from these things and become more like Christ. For example, let me give you a personal example. In our marriage, when we got married, we rolled these right up the aisle. And Karen, her issue is she had some real insecurities. Her issue was insecurity growing up in a volatile childhood. My issue, my bag was a lot of anger and defensiveness coming from growing up in a very angry, dysfunctional family. See, we didn't see these while we were dating. When we were engaged, we didn't see them. But man, in our married life, this came to the surface and it did a lot of damage. These unresolved issues. In fact, on your outline, I put this great quote. Would you look at it with me? It says this, courtship brings out the best and marriage brings out what? The rest. Marriage brings out the rest. But can I tell you, God wants to bring it out. In fact, on the screen behind me in Romans 8, 28 and 29, I want you to look at this verse in the context of if your marriage is a mess right now, if you will choose to love God and go after his purpose for your life, man, he can bring good out of that. He can bring good out of the mess because he can begin to heal it 
and then use it to make you more like Christ. That's the second marriage killer, unexpected, uh, unresolved issues. The third one is huge, especially for the Bay Area. Would you write this one down? It's an unbalanced schedule. An unbalanced schedule. Now, would you raise your hand this morning if you are really busy? Now, can I tell you, a lot more hands would go up. It's just that those people, they're too tired. I can't. uh, I can't. Because here's the reality in the Bay Area. In most couples, both the husband and the wife are working. They're going 90 miles an hour at this crazy pace. And perhaps the most ignored and disobeyed command in the Bible is Psalm 4610 on your outline that says these words. Be still and know that I am God. See, when you get still and you slow down your pace, then you can have a real relationship with God. Well, some of you need to apply that to your marriage. You need to get still and slow down so that you can have a real relationship with your spouse. Friends, think about it. You got married because you wanted to be together. Yet the key danger here is you get running so fast, you start living separate lives. Like ships passing in the night. and You you may share a bed, you may share some bills, but you're not really connected because you're not making enough time to really be together. So the first three marriage killers hit hard, but I think the fourth one hits the hardest, and that's unforgiven mistakes. Unforgiven mistakes. The Bible is a very realistic book. Us realists really like that. And um, it tells the truth about our life and about marriage. And what it says about your spouse is very significant. If you're here with your spouse, your husband or your wife, would you turn to them and lovingly look in their eyes for a moment and tell me, go ahead, go ahead, do it. Look at your spouse and tell me, is he, he or she imperfect? Are they flawed? Is the Bible true? Is it telling the truth when it says that you married a sinner? So in Romans 3, 23... I mean, a lot of couples are elbowing each other right <laughs> yeah. now. So, yeah, yeah. Here's some laughter Absolutely. there. In Romans three twenty three, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Um, the fact is, the, the problem is, we are all sinners and we are all flawed. And because of that, we will hurt each other. We will hurt each other often and we will hurt each other deeply. In fact, it's very possible that your spouse is the person who has hurt you the most deeply in your life. I hope they've also brought you the most joy in your life, but you have to decide what am I going to do with that hurt? How am I going to cope with those pains in my life and in our relationship? And you have to choose, are you going to hold on to those hurts? Because if you do, they're going to kill your love and kill your marriage. So the question is, why would anyone hang on to those hurts? Maybe they'd come in handy for ammunition in the next argument, but it's not worth it. Several times in our marriage, I really remember coming face to face with the question, am I going to hang on to bitterness? Am I going to keep this wall up around my heart, keep holding him at arm's length? Um, Or am I going to choose to forgive and let it go? Am I going to justify the barrier between us and, and the bitterness in my heart? Or am I going to choose to have a happy marriage? Dr. Phil says, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Well, the Bible says, do you want to hang on to bitterness or do you want to be free? Sometimes it's really a choice that we make. I don't know of any thriving marriages that aren't marked by heavy doses of forgiveness. 
All great marriages are built by two great forgivers. So the challenge for us is to develop a pattern, a rhythm of forgiveness. Your partner may offend you many times a week, many times a day, if, especially if you're easily offended. But it's up to you. What are you going to do with that? Um, one of my mottos, let it go, is a great one right there. What if every time we got peeved at our spouse, what about maybe the next time you got annoyed with your spouse or they offended you, you asked yourself the question, what has God forgiven, of, forgiven me of recently? And am I going to put myself above God and say, God, I'm not going to forgive them even though you've forgiven me of so much? It's hard to do. This idea of you know, unforgiven mistakes, I'm reminded of some of the best advice I heard one time I was doing some premarital counseling right over here at La Casita Restaurant with a young couple, and this older couple was sitting at the table next to us, and they were listening in, and when they got up to leave, the the husband walked over to this young couple and said, hey, my wife and I, we've been married over 40 years. Can we give you a little marital advice? And they both looked up and said, yeah. And he said, well, I have a little poem for you. It goes like this. To keep your love life beaming with love in the loving cup, when you're wrong, admit it. And when you're right, shut up. Uh, that's, that's some good advice. Now, 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 here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to look at your outline at these four top marriage killers. And I want you to put a little check mark next to any of these that are killing your marriage right now. Any of them that are doing it, is it unexpected differences? Maybe some of you are sitting here going, man, we can't make it work because we're just so different. Or how about, could it be unresolved issues? Is there hurt, resentment, or baggage from your parents or your past that's messing up your present? Is it an unbalanced schedule where both you and your spouse are working and you throw little kids in the mix and you're just so exhausted that there's nothing left over to give to your spouse? Or can I say unforgiven mistakes? Unforgiveness in a marriage, it will kill any chance of having a thriving marriage. Now, can I tell you, all of these, they don't just apply to marriage. They, these apply to any real relationship. But here's the question. As you sit here today, even if your marriage is really messed up, like Karen and I, when we were in Africa, can I tell you this morning that with God, with God, you can build a thriving marriage. With God, you can come to the end of your married life together, sitting on the front porch, holding hands, going, man, I'm so happy I got to spend my whole married life with you. How do you, how do you get there? How do you make it happen? How do you get out of mess mode? And how do you move from messed up to blessed and having a thriving marriage? Well, that's what Karen's going to come share with you now. Well, some of you may be thinking... We just can't fix this. We're stuck and we don't know how to get out of this mess we're in. We're stuck because of the marriage killers, but how do we get unstuck? So number one on your outline is plug into God's power. Plug into God's power. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You might underline nothing is too hard for you. Um, you may feel like, I just don't have the strength to keep fighting anymore, fighting in the marriage, fighting for the marriage. 
But God, the one who created the entire universe, who created marriage, probably even your marriage, brought you together, he's the one who has the power to give you the resources that you don't need. Um, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, this one's not on your outline, but the Apostle Paul says, and he, referring to God, has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. It's on the screen. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Man, it's, it, you're in a great place when you come to a place and say, I just don't have it in me. I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. And so I need to fully rely on God and on his power. That's a great place to be. Um, because God's power, isn't it stronger and more powerful than anything that we can muster up in our own strength? And when we say, God, I'm helpless and I need you, that is the beginning of his strength in our lives. Mm-hmm. Remember our verse... Um, for the year is Mark 10:27, our prayer verse. So many of you are praying at 10:27, uh, and it says, "This is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God." And do you know that the Apostle Paul made an incredible statement? Um, he said, "The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you." Isn't that amazing? The the power that actually caused the resurrection of Christ lives in us how can that be that happens only because a person who has committed their life to christ who's invited jesus to be lord of their lives the bible says that the 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 spirit of god that christ himself comes to dwell in us and that the indwelling christ gives us the power equivalent to that of the resurrection so you have god's power um, in your life to make that marriage better, to work on things, to respond lovingly and gracefully when it's really hard to your spouse. Now, how do you plug into God's power? The verse on your outline says the power, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I bet some of you are saying, righteous person, that's not me. But again, the person who has been covered by the blood of Christ, who's been clothed with Christ. You are a righteous person because Christ is righteous and he's clothed you with himself. And so your prayers and my prayers, the Bible says, are powerful and effective. So by far the best weapon we have in our marriages is to pray, to pray without ceasing, the Bible says, to pray every chance you get when you're in the shower, when you're in the car. My best prayer times are when I'm not sleeping at night. (laughs) Pray because it's powerful and effective and God moves and works when we pray, I see that every day, every week in this place, in my life and in your lives, don't ever underestimate the power of praying because it's the best thing you can do in every situation. Sometimes I find myself saying, I can't do much, but I can pray. Praying is the most much thing you can do. It's the most powerful thing that we can do is to release God's power. How many times did you pray for your husband or wife this week, especially if you're having a hard time? How many times did you pray? I encourage you to take your outline and write the number somewhere there in code on your outline. Write down the number, but evaluate and think, do I need to pray more for my spouse, for his well-being, for her hurting heart, for God to strengthen his or her relationship with God? Pray often for your spouse. I've got to share with you a clip from a movie that I saw recently. Some of you are thinking about it already because it relates so well to this. It was the number one 
selling movie in the box office is this Labor Day weekend. It was a thoroughly, unapologetically Christian movie called War Room. So you're going to see a clip, but in this movie, to set it up, there's an older woman who takes a younger wife under her wing and tells her that the solution to her dying marriage is found in a room that's designated for prayer. So likewise, this young wife goes home into her walk-in closet, takes all of her clothes out of her closet, takes all of the shoes, empties it completely so that she has a designated place where she can sit and pray to God for her husband, that God would bless her husband, that God would strengthen their marriage, make her a better wife. And she writes these prayers out, a lot of them, and tapes them to the inside wall of their closet. And one day, Spoiler alert, if you didn't see it yet, I'm warning you. Her husband, favorite scene of the movie, her husband walks into the walk-in closet and he, her hard-hearted, prideful husband, who's, you know, on the verge of everything bad, walks into the closet, sees these notes taped onto the wall. Prayers for him, prayers um, from their daughter as well. God, help mom and dad to love each other again. It's amazing. And God answers their prayers. Watch this clip. Don't blink because it moves fast. Hey, you know what? I thought your jump rope routine was really good. I just got a notification that you moved money from our savings into your checking account. Can we talk about this later? You must be the real estate agent. Well, it's so good to meet you. Let me show you the house. This is my favorite place in this house. I call it my war room. You wrote prayers for each area of your life. Prayer strategy. I sure could use some of that. Tony, you should go see your practice tomorrow. I'm out of town this week. When were you going to tell me? I just did. Tony, that was my favorite rep. I'm real good. I you I wish I lived at your house. Whenever my parents are together, they just fight. Dude, I can't get a pass from you. It'd be easier to baptize a cat. I just need you to blow off a little sink, okay? There's one thing we do well. It's fight. You do not want World War III to break out in your home. No. No, I don't. Just because you argue a lot doesn't mean that you fight well. You got to plead with God so that he can do what only he can do. Then you got to get out of the way and let him do it. You need to do your fighting in prayer. Keep fighting the good fight. I've never seen anybody do what you did. It's time for you to take off the gloves and fight for your marriage. Keep fighting the Lord, we need an army of believers. Lord, call us to battle. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. Good, huh? Some of you may be at a point in your life and in your marriage where you feel like saying, I'm done. I'm done fighting. I'm done struggling. I'm done hurting. But there's a promise in the Bible for you that tells you that God is not done working in your marriage and working in your life. In Philippians 2.13, the verse says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power 
to do what pleases him. You might underline the desire and the power. So he doesn't stop working in you. And even if you want, want to say, I don't even know if I want to be in this marriage anymore. I don't know if I want to keep fighting for the marriage. He will give you the desire that you need. He'll give you a picture of what your marriage can be, the picture that he has for your marriage. And then he'll give you the power by the indwelling Christ who lives in you to do what it takes to save the marriage. So guys, if you want to build a thriving marriage, if your marriage is a mess, here's what you do. You plug into God's power. And I think that starts when you open up your life to receive Christ. Let him come live inside you, forgive you, make you a new person. And then you plug into that power by learning to pray and fight for your marriage on your knees by praying for God to bless and strengthen and heal your marriage. But the second step, would you write this down? This is so key, is also you want to follow God's pattern for marriage. Follow God's pattern. You know, if you were building a house, you would want to make sure that everybody building that house worked off the same blueprint. Because if you didn't work off the same blueprint, you're just going to have nothing but chaos. And one of the reasons you're having so much chaos in your marriage is nobody's following the right pattern, God's pattern. You know, it's been said, if you really want to know how something works, you ask the designer and you read the owner's manual. Well, do you know God is the designer, the creator of marriage? He's given you his owner's manual called the Bible. And did you know that God, your marriage is so important to God that it was one of the very first things he talked about in the Bible. Did you know that? I mean, go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter one, in the beginning... God made you. He made you special. He made you in his image so that he could love you. That's Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2, he talks about marriage. And he gives you his pattern for marriage. In fact, I want you to see it there on your outline from Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25. It says, therefore, shall a man leave, underline the word leave, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Underline the word cleave. And they shall be one flesh. Underline, be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. You see, from the very beginning of the Bible, God gives his pattern. And if you'll follow this pattern, you will build a thriving marriage. And the pattern goes like this. It starts with the word leave. You learn to leave. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. You think about it. When, when, before you get married, your priority relationship is your family. It's your parents, and then your friends, and then workmen, whoever, anybody else. But on the day you get married, when you walk down that aisle, you are making a statement to God, to your spouse, and to everyone else that's saying, from this day forward, above my parents, above friends, family, even children, from this day forward, my spouse will be my priority relationship. In fact, in some wedding ceremonies, the minister will use the phrase, forsaking all others. See, God's pattern, in fact, some people to express that pattern, they use a unity candle. In fact, when Karen and I got married, we had a unity candle in our marriage. How many of you have seen unity candles before? Now, here's the thing about a unity candle. When you come in, these two candles are lit and they represent the bride and the groom represent when they came in to get married, they came in as single people. And then at some point in the marriage, here's what they do. 
They light the candle in the middle saying, we're no longer single, we're leaving that life to become one. And then what do they do with these candles? They blow them out because if they don't, it's a sign for the in-laws to be very involved in the marriage. So you, <laughs> you blow these out. No, what they're saying is we are leaving our life as a single so we can take the next step in the pattern, and that's to cleave. Write down the word cleave. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word cleave? Now, can I tell you? Here's what I think of. Anybody think of this? <laughs> like a meat cleaver. Now, what do you do with the... You don't want to like, I'm not hit your spot. Like, you mess up, buddy. You're... With the cleave, what do you do with the cleave? You, it's a cutting instrument. Like you leave your life as a single, and then this is very appropriate because anything that would pull you apart, you want to cut it out of the relationship. Anything that brings disunity, dis, uh, division, you cut it out. But this is not the best picture of what it means to cleave. Actually, the word cleave in Hebrew, the best English phrase we have for that is the phrase superglue. Like what you want to do is you leave your life as a single and you cleave, which means like you cling to, you, you like super glue your life together. That means you leave, you make that your priority relationship, and then you pursue the things that cement your relationship. You cut out the things that pull you apart and you go after the things that pull you together. And then the last phrase, would you write this down? You become one. And it's talking about more than just physical intimacy. You become one physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You join your life together. And what God has brought together, let no one separate. Now, now here's the deal. A lot of marriages get in trouble because they break God's pattern. And then a lot of couples, here's what they do. When your marriage is a mess, almost every time what you see is one of them reverted back to life as a single. Like, hey, I got to think about my rights. I got to think about what's best for me. I have to protect myself. Friends, you understand when you get married and you join your life, it's no longer a me deal. It's a we deal. We, I have to think what's best for us together. I have to learn to fight for our marriage. We're on the, the same team and we have to learn to work together. That's what it means to follow God's pattern. The idea of fighting a battle by yourself is nuts, right? More than ever, if you're struggling in your marriage, you need people in your life who will be there to encourage you, to support you, to speak truth into your life, and to pray with you. The third um, thing there on your outline is connect with God's people. Connect with God's people. How many of you can attest to the fact that sometime during your life, during a hard time in your life, you found support and strength through being in a group? You raise your hand. Yeah. It's, you guys, it's so great to have people in your life that you know care for you and that are there for you when the, when the bomb goes off in your life, when something major happens, when your marriage starts struggling or something else happens, to know that you have people there that will be there for you, bring you a hot meal if you need it, that will support you and encourage you. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 on your outline says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. 
So that cord of three strands, those brothers and sisters that you have in Christ in your life, they will make you much stronger than a single strand. I want to share with you my story about the Mary Kay husbands, okay? So early on in the earlier days of Crossroads, I was leading a life group, and um, it was comprised of almost entirely Mary Kay directors for some reason. They were free in the morning. It was a morning group. And so these ladies would come together about six, seven of us regularly uh, and, you know, study God's word and pray together and be there for each other. Most of them had, some of them had come to Christ um, recently at Crossroads or through the group also, but none of their husbands had become Christians yet. And so the common prayer request was pray for my husband that he would come to know Christ. And we prayed for that, of course, week in and week out. We prayed, God, reach their husbands for you, help them to know you. And I kid you not, Over the course of the next several years, one by one, every one of those husbands became a Christian and put their faith in Jesus Christ. The last one, 10 years in, the last diehard, um, Gene Davis, 10 years in, we prayed for him. But can you see the power of prayer even more so than when we pray individually, when we come together and pray in God's name, something amazing happens and God's power is released in an amazing way. Uh, we prayed for 10 years, and it worked. Prayer in every situation is the best thing that you can do. You need to have people in your life praying for your marriage, praying that God would soften your spouse's heart, praying that you would have Christ-like character in relating to your spouse, praying for a renewed love and commitment in your covenant together. James 5.16 on your outline says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Confess your, you might underline, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Underline the whole verse because it's great. Having people in your life that you can be honest with, confess your struggles to, and then know that they will pray for the healing of your marriage is so crucial. You need a group of people like that in your life. Um, And remember that the best thing you can do to see real change in your life and in your marriage is always to pray and to have people praying with you. If you don't have an older couple, like we mentioned, or a couple, not that they're older necessarily, but a couple in your life that you can talk to, that you can have pray with you, that you can have listen to you when you're struggling, we want to make sure that you have that in some way. If you would mark that on your communication card, we already have some people that said, hey, I'll meet with a couple if they're struggling, and we'll match you up with a couple. So write that on your card if that's something that would be helpful for you. And um, when you rely on God's powerful spirit living in you, then follow God's pattern for marriage and intertwine your life with others. You will be stronger, and so will your marriage. All right, guys. We started, you know, we started this message. We We shared with you about a story in our marriage, and it was very messy and stressful. And can I tell you, in 25 years of marriage, that's not the only time it's been messy and stressful. In fact, I want to end our message this morning by telling you about another time when it was very stressful and very messy. And it wasn't just for a couple weeks, or it wasn't just for a few months. This was over an extended period of time when one of our kids was dealing with some major emotional and health issues, and it was so big, it affected our whole family. I believe that during this painful period that Satan was attacking our family, and he was trying to tear us apart, 
And what's amazing to me is that during this time, something that was so painful, so difficult, so emotionally exhausting, something that could have easily pulled us apart. But during this time, friends, can I tell you, we pulled together. We hung on to God. We hung on to each other. We actually became closer going through this stressful time than ever before. And I want to ask you, what made the difference? Well, can I tell you, in that first story, just bring the coat up, don't put it on. In the first story, this is what we were wearing. In the first story, this is what made the difference. We were clothed with pride and immaturity and unforgiveness, selfishness, and hurt. Uh, But can I tell you, over the years, we learned to plug into God's power, to follow his pattern, to to connect with people and get help. And what it did is, is it helped us like to take off this coat. It helped us to kind of get rid of this coat in our lives. In fact, look at your outline because this is what we did. We took off this coat and we put on Christ. On Colossians 3, 8 through 10, it says this, but now is the time. Now, like today, is the time to get rid of anger and rage, malicious behavior, slander and dirty language don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him underline that phrase stripped off your old sinful nature and then underline put on your new nature because i want you to see what it looks like because of christ we put on a new coat This is what made the difference. We put on God's love, God's power, his grace, his humility, his peace. This is the coat we started to wear in our lives, individually, and in our marriage. And this new coat, uh, I, I challenge you to make the same decision we made. Galatians 3, 26 through 27 says it this way. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. We wanted you to see a picture of the difference it can make when you plug into God's power, follow God's pattern, and connect with God's people. All right, let's, let's pray together. Lord, first of all, I just want to pray for every person here. The truth is, Life hits us all, and we need your power. We need your presence. We need your guidance. And, Lord, not only do we need you, we need each other. And I want to say a special prayer, Lord, especially for all our married couples today, especially those who are dealing with differences or past issues or unforgiveness. Would you help us, Father? In our marriages, would you give us a new power to love one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another like you have forgiven us? And would you help us come back, God, come back to building our marriages by your blueprint? Give us the humility that not only do we need you, we need each other. We need your help, but you're also calling us to help one another with your love. And so we pray your blessings on all our marriages and everyone here for Christ's sake. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.